welcome to the Strange Brew podcast. It's fantastic to be here. I don't do many shows where I actually get to physically be uh, with the artist, so uh, it's a, a massive privilege, Jeff Christie. Nice to be here. Fantastic. We just heard Elton John and, and uh, Yellow River, probably your, your signature tune, but there was a, a CBS strap line where it said Christie's music runs a lot deeper than Yellow River, and hopefully today's show will actually, for those who are not familiar with all your work, um, really kind of show that. One of the reasons we're here today is actually to play and talk about your new single, which is a, a, a fantastic new version of For All Mankind. So we just heard Elton John Yellow River, and we'll actually be hearing a US version of Just One More Chance, which um, is a song that you released with The Outer Limits, but actually got taken out to the States and, and covered by a few artists. And, and we're playing the, the more kind of West Coast version by the Hondells, Just One More Chance. And I remember when we spoke briefly before this, and you said that there's a tiny little link between Yellow River and the Hondells anyway. Yeah, it's interesting. I think the, the link is probably something to do with the fact that the Hondells were a sort of a Beach Boys type uh, West Coast five-piece harmony group. And at one particular time, Glenn Campbell was in the Hondells. I don't know the exact time. I think it was early 60s he was in the, in the Hondells. The link, I think, also was this, that when Glenn Campbell broke through, really, it must have been probably about 69. The song that influenced me very, very much was uh, it was a song called Galveston. Galveston, like Wichita Lineman, by the time I get to Phoenix, were all Jimmy Webb songs. And I, I was a massive Jimmy Webb fan. This song, Galveston, I always remember, I, I was writing a lot. I'd already had probably a couple of records out, uh, Just Some More Chance, Great Train Robbery. I was in this period where the band that I had, The Outer Limits, had broken up. A couple of years just really heavily concentrating on writing. And Galveston just had that magic to it. And from being inspired by that song, I wrote Yellow River, which again was was to do with the American Civil War, just as Galveston was. It was a similar sort of theme. You know, Galveston, Glen Campbell, Hondells, mm. and the chain through to Jimmy Webb, which was just a neat little story. I think the Hondells version is, is really nice as Oh, well. it's lovely. Absolutely lovely. I mean... It's lovely in the sense that it's, I've always loved Close Harmony, even Barbershop. Well, let's play the Hondells and, and their fantastic version of one of your sort of crucial tracks in the, the, the early stages of your career, Just One More Chance. Smile is all I need, and I will try once more. 
That wasn't just one more chance. Of course, we have to play the, you know, your main band in the 60s, certainly in recording terms, The Outer Limits. And we're playing Sweet Freedom, which was the B-side to Great Train yeah. Robbery. And, and um, I remember when we spoke about four years ago for the original Strange Brew interview that we did, that playing that song live was kind of pivotal to encouraging yeah. your songwriting. Yeah, because up until that time, this is when we were on the, um, the Hendrix tour, we, we had a, I know we had about 10 minute spot. The spots were ridiculously short in those days. You'd have, the move did like quarter of an hour or 20 minutes top side, and then you'd get Pink Floyd would do like half an hour, and Jimmy would do like 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. And it was very fast turnaround. And before that, the outer limits, I was writing, and the records had already had just some more chance out and Great Train Robbery out. Right. Up until that time, we were sort of doing a lot of Motown stuff and, you know, making a decent fist of it. But I'd got the writing bug, and of course, the records were written by me. And I wanted to pursue this, this course of playing my own songs live. One day on the tour, for some reason, I don't remember, we were playing things like Reach Out, I'll be there. And for some reason, I thought, right, let's stick Sweet Freedom in because that was a punchy track. It got quite a good reception. And Lee Jackson came up to me backstage afterwards. He must have been watching us from the nice. He said, what was that song you played in the fourth number down? I don't recognize that song. It wasn't the usual Motown song. Oh, I said, well, that was one of mine. It was called Sweet Freedom. He said, that's a good song. He said, that's what you should play. Mm. Not other people said, so you should be playing that stuff. And I think that endorsement, because they broke through just shortly after that tour and became huge. Yeah. And, I, you know, sometimes that's what you need. You need just a little bit of a nudge on your shoulder to say, that's great, you should do that. Mm. And that's exactly what happened. We came off that tour. We had a lot of confidence on that tour. It was a real learning curve. And um, although we'd been playing a lot and the band was very tight playing around the country, but there's something about that tour and the discipline of, of the tour and working with such, working with Hendrix, you know, mm. was, was mm. just something else um, and you know the move was such a great band the Floyd at the time I didn't really like them because they admitted themselves it was the lights of what they were about the music was secondary to the lights and there were a couple of songs that were really commercial songs like Arnold and Lane mm. and See Him and Play but Sid was just so completely out of it at the time they say that's a tour that you weren't mad on but we learned a lot and I learned a lot and it gave me the confidence to sort of go forward and play my own songs and do more and more. And that was, in many ways, yeah, it was a starting point. Cool. Let's play The, the Outer Limits and Sweet Freedom.
Searchers demo version of the A side to Sweet Freedom, the Outer Limits. The Searchers version of Great Train Robbery. Is that has that ever seen a release, or is that purely acetate only? It's a bit of a mystery this one because um, I wasn't aware of this at all until it turned up. Somebody had, had sent it to the website. My website manager Ray Chan was, you know, said, "Have you heard this?" And I said, "No, I hadn't heard this." And I was absolutely dumbfounded because. It was pretty much exactly the same as our version of obviously minus the strings. Yeah. That would be about 68, 69. And I think the searches were just starting to tail. Um, this is before Yellow River, so I hadn't really happened. But they must have been trolling for songs. They must have come across that and they thought, this is possible. You know, it's a contender. Mm. So we'll demo it. And that's really all the only stage it got to. But the fact that the searches, who again are a seminal name from the 60s did the song was um it's a kind of an accreditation from your peers mm-hmm. your peer group
Searches and Great Train Robbery, another excellent song from Jeff Christie. Now we're actually digging deeper into our catalogue and one of the uh, many, many demos that you did with The Outer Limits. Understand this next song is one of your favourites and it was released um, about six years ago on The Outer Limits Floor of Masters. Fasting Perfect compilation. It's Mr. McGee's incredible banjo band. Yeah, no, something about the song. I just, uh, we did that in this little studio in Huddersfield and we used to go and record. And the guy there was this, this German refugee, he was a lovely guy, and he became the founder of Orange Amps. And Orange Amps were, you know, again, you know, Marshall ruled the waves, but there were various other amps that came through as well. And Orange was a very respected um, amp, and Matt. Um, he was the guy that started Orange, and um, he was always into electronics and recording. He used to do a lot of recording over there. It was still kind of primitive. I think it was a two-track or something like that, and we bounce and bounce and bounce, and we lose lots of quality. So, and in, and in those days, um, we had to whack him down very quickly. I think as a songwriter, and especially at that particular time, more so than these days, finding my feet just... Like a kid in a toy shop, I was wanting to try everything. So Mr. McGee's was just kind of one of the many sort of forays into yeah. different styles of writing. Yeah, I envisaged that with a banjo band. There'd be like little movies in my head and I'd want to sort of create these soundscapes and try to sort of let my imagination wander into these areas that Mr. McGee was... I just imagined this great banjo band from another time a song and the kid wanting to be, you know, hero worship, worshiping Mr. McGee, and it came this long line of banjo players. You know, it was just like a little story. Yeah.
Band, but another track, and I'm, I'm not sure it's been released, but through the Looking Glass, which was yeah. one of your demos. That's yeah. another one of your there's tracks where you're testing something out. Yeah, there, there's a lot around, a lot of songs still like that in very raw demo form mm. that I would, you know, just did on a Grundig tape recorder. I, I value them a lot because they were quite intricate little songs. They were quite complicated little songs. I was trying to sort of get get something across. But all these things were just notepads. That's really what they were. These were yeah. songs that I wanted to go into a studio. You know, the whole point is when I broke through the supposed successful, you know, hits in 1970, that was what I hoped would free me up to then to really indulge and then to take these songs. Yeah. But that was probably a bit naive of me because the record buying public and the record companies, it's very difficult to take them on that journey with you unless you're someone like Bowie or the Beatles that have such a, an amazing charisma. So you got the freedom to... The freedom with Yellow River being so massive, the pressure to sort of do Mark 2, Mark 3, Mark 4 was just too intense, too much for me, and you know, just had to bend to that. And in terms of the podcast, um, well, let, let's play uh, Through the Looking Glass. Yes, 
Jeff Christie and Through the Looking Glass and Jeff we were talking about the, you know the pressure to to move into a particular sound and that you weren't able to carry through a lot of the demos that you made in that Outer Limits period in, in the late 60s but Yellow River was one of those songs that you wrote in 1969. We opened with El- Elton John one of the, the world's biggest artists and we've got R.E.M. you know one of the world's biggest bands and, and, and their version of, of Yellow River that's some tribute really. I was astonished when I found out about it. And I remember reading something about, was it Mike Mills? Yeah, yeah, the bassist. Yeah, I remember Mike Mills saying, this is one of our favourite songs when we were growing up. You know, wow. We, we always loved to play it. And, you know, and that was just fantastic. So the acknowledgement from a band like that, just fantastic. But then, then, then you get somebody like Dora Lawson and Quicksilver. I don't know whether you ever heard. Oh, is that the country that? That's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, it Dora is. Dora Lawson and Quicksilver were just the most unbelievable bluegrass band and if you get a chance to listen to that it's extraordinary you know there's fiddles and um, banjos in it and unbelievably fast guitar pick and it's an absolute joy but it just really shows you you know what i unleashed there you know here was a song that somehow just sort of tapped in to so many musicians across the world, as yeah. well as, I suppose, people yeah. that took it to their hearts and bought it. I knew I thought I had a strong song there at the time, but I had no idea that, that it would have that far-reaching consequences, you know, 44 years later. Yeah, it's, kind of, it's, come, it's kind of come a classic, hasn't it? Absolutely. Let's listen to R.E.M. and Mike Mills and their version of Yellow River.
Ariem and Yellow River, and it's interesting, we've been discussing the range of artists, and we're really going to mix it up now, because you've chosen a Swedish punk band, Satanic Surfers, and their version of another one of your hits, San Bernardino. That's a, a particular favourite of yours, isn't it? Well, I, again, when I heard about that one, I was blown away, because these are kids, you know. Well, there were two songs they did, yeah. Gotta Be Free Again from the album. It's somebody, you know, and I just heard it and I thought, wow, this is unbelievable, just crazy. It was a real punk thrasher. And so I just thought, wow, you know, I, I just kind of speechless. The fact that somebody could do that to the song and that they obviously made it in such a way that it had credibility. Yeah. I would never in a million years have tried to sort of do it like that because I saw it in a more tra- traditional mode. It just shows you these kids, look at these songs. And what a different approach they've got to it. And so it's, you know, it's, it's just really nice. It's a real compliment. Get ready to rock. Satanic Surfers in San Bernardino. Well, I've been all around this great new world to Paris and to Rome. And I've never found a place that I could really call my own. But there's one place where I know the sun is shining endlessly And it's calling me across the sea So I must get back to San Bernardino I remember when I was 16 My daddy said to me You could travel around this universe until eternity But you'll never find that peace of mind That you've been dreaming of Not until you find a little sad To come on home to San Bernardino Surfers and San Bernardino. We're actually, we're, you're very rightly say that sort of Christie were sort of pigeonholed in that country rock uh, sound, but you're, you're, the second Christie album for All Mankind is my favourite. I particularly like Picture Painter, and when we last spoke, you said it was your homage to the Creation and Painter Man. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I played with the Creation at Leeds University, I don't know, mid 60s sometime, 
you know, played with so many great bands. Played with the Birds, the London Birds, which of course Ronnie would. Oh yeah. Played. And you know, again, all in those days, there were there were so many gigs to play. You didn't have arenas. The biggest gig you had in this country was the Albert Hall, I guess. Mm. Um, we used to town hall all night, the town hall, and the Queen's Hall all night yes. in Leeds, which was. These were, you know, all the big bands would come, and the university was great. Leeds Uni, there were great bands there, and we were all, we were playing there a lot, a lot of support. You know, standing at the side in the reflect, watching Queen, watching these great bands. It was just a magic time really. And of course, I was writing prolifically and just coming out with two or three songs a week, and I was getting this amazing stimulus. But creation were again. Very small, like the Who, it had that sort of very powerful dynamic, and I just listened to it again, and it was so raw, you know, so dynamic. And that I think that you know that was when I wrote Picture Painter, it must have been, it must have been very, very more than subliminal. I think that's what I do, you know. I sort of, um, if I really love something, I'll try to deliver my take on it in a way. Hopefully, I'll try not to make it too obvious and blatant and not copy it.
Picture Painter by Christian. Next, we're listening to another great track from uh, For All Mankind, the album, but it's more reflective, if only. So it's a really nice song of yours, Jeff. Mm. Yeah, I think at the time um, it was, I had this girlfriend in Copenhagen. I remember I was living, in, this was probably about 71, and I was living in Kensington in London. And, you know, I was writing stuff, and I just... Um, it was one of those things, you know, she was over there and I was in London and then the next, I think the next day I was going to South America on another tour and I just kind of just taken stock of my life and how I was here, there and everywhere and I couldn't really put down roots, I couldn't really have a relationship because it just wasn't time. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking, of this, you know, this girl that I made in Copenhagen we got together a few times and I just thought if only, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't so far away. Of course, it's not that far away in Denmark, but felt like it because I think the schedules that we had yeah everything was far away trying to get downtime we were one of the most heavily toured bands of all around the world because on Yellow River alone it just you know we got to 20 it's number one in 26 countries apart from the UK and when it wasn't number one it was top 10 mm. so, so you know there was a phenomenal demand to go to these places all over so we're just living out of a suitcase and I think it was if only it wasn't just about the distance between being with somebody you wanted to be with, but it was also the distance between an ordinary life as well. Just, you know, you've forgotten what it was like to have free time and to go places and just be normal again. If only you were not so far I would come to you, I surely would If only I could find the words to say I could speak my mind and you would know Silver wings I'd fly 
If it could be so, I'd be with you If only time was on my side I'd try Nothing would keep me away from you If only Jeff. The next song is, you know, up there in terms of one of your sort of most well-known songs, and it seems strange when you listen to it now and, and how well uh, known it is today. But um, Iron Horse was only a minor hit in the UK, which is is absolutely staggering, really. Yeah, well, uh, it was what they called a turntable hit, yeah. and we did a lot, quite a lot of TV. We did Top of the Pops, and we did various other shows at the time that were staple shows, whether it was Basil Brush, whether it was Lift Off with A Shear. Um, but it came basically, it came in I think about 48 and it climbed to about 43. Now at the time we had, you would get the figures from CBS, which is Sony of course now, from CBS, you get the sales figures. And at the same time as Iron Horse was out, it was Johnny Nash's record I can see clearly now. Both records were getting a lot of airplay. Now, the week that this drama happened, um, it was very odd because we were outselling Johnny Nash. We were getting the figures and we knew what Johnny Nash was selling. We were actually outselling Johnny Nash. Now, he, from about 42 or 41, we were around about hovering about the same place. And he went into the top 30. We went out of the 50, which just didn't make sense. And of course, with that, you lose the momentum. You start to slide. But, you know, it, Iron Horse was top 10 in quite a lot of other countries, Germany and Spain and, and various other places. And, of course, most of the work that we would do in those days was outside the UK. We were just a world touring band. Um, we did play in the UK a lot, but we would play to 20,000 people in South America football stadiums where you couldn't play those. You didn't have those gigs over here. 
Um, so we would get these incredible offers to go to these exotic places like South America and Mexico and Poland even, which was really grim. When it was still a communist country, you know, and um, see the most incredible things, Africa. Yeah. Uh, which was ended up being a bit of a you know a bit of a downer because we had we got into riots there and there was a whole other story about we got that. Stuck. And we got stuck there and that really was a start at the end because we lost such a lot of money there. But um, we were very widely travelled and we really did see the world. Mm. Well, let's play Iron Horse, a fantastic track. Jeff, um, you kind of alluded to it earlier about sort of Christie losing momentum and, and there was problems in Africa that had a sort of knock-on. But you carried on kind of recording demos and playing songs. The next track um, after Iron Horse that I'd like to play is Heaven Knows. And um, when I got a copy of No Turn Unstoned a few years back, 
that song stood out for me. Mm. It was a really, really fantastic song, and I'm just staggered that it just wasn't released at the time. Yeah, well, it's really odd that you picked that one out, because that was very much a quirky thing of my own. Um, and it, again, it was a little bit of a homage to Carmen, mm. because, of course, Carmen took my drummer, Paul, and they also took my you know, road manager, Skippy, and I you know, they took my manager as well. And they were unique. They were just unbelievable. They were doing this flamenco rock thing, and they had genuine flamenco roots, and I'd always been crazy about flamenco since I was a kid. In fact, I wanted to learn flamenco when I was when I first picked up the guitar when I was probably about 11, 12. That's flamenco that I wanted to learn, but you couldn't find a flamenco teacher. And the nearest thing that came through then was rock and roll, it was Elvis, Buddy Holly, and the guitar. So. That was it. As soon as rock and roll came and those people, Chuck Berry and all that stuff, that was it. So this band was doing flamenco and fusing rock with it. And he was friendly with the guys. They used to come to my house. I, you know, I played on you know, two or three of their tracks on their last album. They were on a couple of my tracks, the Turning to Stone, they were on. We spent a lot of time in the studio in Boston, which was an, an incredible, on this farm in um, North Brookfield. But... Um, Heaven Knows is a strange song because the time signature is quite complex. It's not rock and roll. It's a sort of, there were flamenco rhythms in it, which I'd learned from Carmen. And again, it had that very melancholy feel to it, and I used a euphonium. And I did that up here and paused on that as well. Even those with Carmen, when he would come back, because he was from Dewsbury, and we, we were kind of mates together from like playing in the club in the 60s in Leeds. Mm. And he came in, I brought him into my band in the late 70s. And then he stayed a couple of years and he, he met Carmen and that was it. You know, he just had to go with him. I was trying to get that same sort of feeling, um, you know, with the guitars and that very sort of melancholy, a little bit dark. Mm. But I like that sort of stuff, you know. I, I don't really... The funny thing about Yellow River and some of these other songs is they're optimistic, but I don't really do jolly happy stuff. I don't, I, I, I don't get that. Um, but Heaven Knows is a, a lovely song. Yeah, well, I'm glad you like it. I don't think a lot of people get that song. I think it's quite an unusual song. Oh 
Another track from this general period in the mid-70s, Turning to Stone, that's a fantastic track. It feels quite autobiographical. Yeah, again, Carmen's on that. John Glasgow, a very dear friend um, who died after Carmen. He went to Jethro Hotel and you know, John and I were very close, as Paul and I. So it was Paul, John and me who put the rhythm track down. I played piano, Paul's on drums, John was on bass. Then we just kind of built the track, built the track up. And then John, Angela and Bobby, who was the dancer and singer in Carmen, did the amazing backup vocals on that. And that was done in Boston and uh, this farm. And it was just uh, just a magic, magic track. But I think in terms of autobiographical, to a certain extent, a lot of songs are, apart from the obvious ones that you can tell, fantasy or me projecting onto something else. But I think I just lost my father, or it was at a time my father was very, very ill. Yeah. And it, it was making me very introspective, and I was trying to deal with loss as, you know, without getting too deep, you know, life's all about, in many ways, coming to terms with loss, because yeah. it's one loss after another, isn't it? Yeah. Loss of youth, loss of, you know, of course, if you're a musician and you're a songwriter, it's going to just channel its way through somehow. Yeah. Those emotions and those feelings are going to channel themselves into a song, into music, because that's how I would express myself. It's a fantastic track. Do highly recommend uh, any of the listeners today getting a copy of the Outer Limits Floor Masters compilation. It's a great set. So, um, turning to stone.
That was Turning to Stone by Jeff Christie. Next, we're, we're kind of moving into the late 70s, early 80s period, Jeff, and um, there was a few releases in that period. Uh, I'd like to play Turn On Your Love Light. It's got quite a sort of catchy commercial edge to it. Mm. That was the B-side of Both Ends of the Rainbow, um, and it was kind of a funky, rocky track. And again, it's got Paul on drums. It was uh, also, Paul and I had a very good friend called Teddy Platt, who's since sadly passed this year. But Teddy was featured a lot on the album, as Paul did. Uh, Ted was a very gifted musician, guitar player. Brought a lot to the table. Um, very talented, and I used him whenever I could. So a lot of those sessions were done, um, and they turned up on the art. You can tell this Paul on drums, Ted on guitar, me on piano, and then bass, and then build the tracks up from there, having started with a really great foundation, because mm -hmm. the three of us were really tight. But it, it was a great experience for me, and I, I, I did some of my best work there. I, I was very, very proud of the work that I did and the, the different range of songs. Cool, well let's listen to Turn On Your Love Light.
Jeff Christie and Turn On Your Love Light from 1980. Now digging further into your back catalogue, Jeff, we're playing tonight, which is another great track from No Turn Unstoned. Um, what can I say about tonight? It was, again, that was done in, in the farm, North Brookford Studio. Um, I think I did about four tracks there and they were all just magical. Again, on that particular one, there was Paul and John again. Um, I built that track up and I did a lot of the, the guitar work on it. And then I remember the accordion on it. We had these two guys that were the chefs there from New York and we pulled them into the studio with the accordion and they were sort of, we were on the floor and I was playing it, the accordion, because I don't really play accordion, so I was playing the notes on the accordion and these two guys at the side of it using the squeeze box, you know, they yeah. the board and we, got, and we tracked that up and we got this lovely sort of, what I would call this sort of French yeah. boulevard accordion sound on this track that was for me, it was a bit of a Bee Gees type song.
Christy and tonight and Jeff the final track here is um, your new version with the Brig House and Rastrick Brass Band and For All Mankind and I recall when we spoke four years ago that you said that you couldn't record the song the way that you wanted so I'm assuming that this new single is finally you know after all these many years the version of For All Mankind that you want to make and it is one of your best songs so it's great to hear that you're releasing it the way that you want to do. Yeah, I think that's that's it in a nutshell. It's taken 43 years to do this the way I want to do it. For All Mankind, again, it's a real heartfelt song. When I first wrote that in 1971, you had this picture with a brass band, a really great brass band, and I always went to the brass band, and I loved all those bands, Black Dyke and those bands, Brighouse and Rastrick, and I wanted to do it with them. And, of course, at the time when we were recording that album and the track, there was no way that CBS were going to, you know, pay for a brass band. And we put that album down very quickly, very fast, and we did a good job. We kept it tight. We kept it very live, uh, and hardly any tracking on the album at all. Very little tracking. But again, that was a song, and the same with If Only. The song needed a bigger yeah. panoramic sort of musical vista to it. Now, if for all mankind and if only, I wanted to use a Hammond organ. And I wanted that sort of, again, this shift to another song here, shift to whiter shade of pale. Yeah. And I always sort of thought somewhere, somehow, I'd like to do something like that. And, you know, that kind of feel. Now, we couldn't get Hammond organ for the session in Bond Street, CBS. But what they did have there, they had this ancient harmonium, which is a beautiful instrument, beautiful sound, but it's like you pump it with your feet and you can hear the pump squeaking. And that was as far as I could get in terms of creating some sort of an atmosphere. And I was always frustrated that that song wasn't done justice in terms of the production of what it is. Now, it was my brother that had, last year, 18 months ago, that had some contact with somebody in Bradford to do with the Brigades of Rastic. And I'd been talking for a few years of wanting to do that. So it'd been germinating, wanting mm-hmm. to have another crack at it. And of course, when that came up, there was a contact with the Brigades of Rastic, a guy called David King, who lives in Australia, very sort of young, charismatic, dynamic conductor. And he came back immediately, really enthusing about it. And like he, he got it straight away. He says, I can see what you mean. This would be great for the band. Yeah. I'll do everything I can to help you get this done. Yeah, I think I've got it probably as close to how I originally conceived it. And the blend of the brass with the, the Hammond organ it was just, and then the guitar, the guitar work with it. Um, this song has got a new lease of life. I don't know whether people are going to sit and take notice of it. It's it's a different business now to what it was. There's yeah. no, it'll go out digitally only. It'll be on iTunes and Amazon and all those digital platforms. I'm pleased with that. I'm proud of that. And what's the release date? It? It's supposed to be in the digital yeah. shops um, by the 21st of January. And that's uh, that's what we're gunning for. And people can get updates and more information about you and your career on on the uh, website that's uh, yeah. administered by Ray Chan. Yeah, yeah, Ray does a great job, and I'm in contact with him all 
all the time and um, he keeps things going there. So if you Google Jeff Christie Yellow River, well, let's play Jeff Christie and the Brighouse and Rastrick Brass Band and their fantastic version of For All Mankind. Thank you, Jeff, today. It's been a, truly a pleasure. A pleasure too. Baby 